Welcome to the Emerging Human, where we explore optimizing health, embodied spirituality, and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a somatic educator, executive coach, and transpersonal guide, and I'm your host. Quick uh, shout out to the Association for Pre- and Perinatal Psychology and Health. Their mission is to support and promote human potential from the very beginning of life by providing global education to professionals and families about emerging evidence in prenatal and perinatal science and birth psychology, that babies are conscious and aware and have their own thoughts, feelings, and experiences before, during, and after birth. You can learn more about them at birthpsychology.com. Today's show is brought to you by Cosmo Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who has integrated different somatic practices into his work, including rolfing. To learn more about his work, you can visit his website, at CosperScafidi.com. Today's guest is Dr. Melissa Peterson. Dr. Peterson is a sought-out expert in thriving for over 20 years as a best-selling author, speaker, and thought leader in epigenetics and precision longevity. She's been delivering precision health solutions connecting the dots for experts and enthusiasts alike, alike, dedicated to leading, loving, and living life to their fullest. She is a host of Igniting Limitless podcast, author of the best-selling book, The Codes of Longevity, an advisor to Heads Up Health Technology, and is the founder of the Human Flourishing Institute. It's good to see you, Melissa. It's good to see you, Michael. Thank you so much. Certainly. So we're going to talk all about longevity, but before we do, I have to ask you about your background in wrestling. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Right from the beginning. Let's uh, let's get in the ring, my friend. (laughs) There you go. All right. What do you want to know? How much time do we have here? <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, my background in wrestling. Yes. So I, I love, I will say that I love the metaphor of the ring because I always say the ring is where life happens. And, you know, I didn't go seeking wrestling. It actually sought me. And I, yet I learned so much in such a few short years in that industry that really paved the way for so many life lessons and how I approach my work as a doctor, as a coach, as a clinician, as a thought leader. Um, And so I always love when we find these foundational life principles that seem to show up regardless of the, the space or the place. They just are kind of these truths, right? And so wrestling, you know, I started the short version. I started dancing when I was two years old and, um, and as I moved on to college and then my, my postgraduate work, I was actually in Atlanta and I was choreographing, I was teaching fitness. I was doing a lot in the dance community and Atlanta was definitely a hub. And I um, was working with this one woman as her choreographer. And she then basically kind of came to me a year later and said, hey, you know, by the way, my husband is Diamond Dallas Page. I'm Kimberly Page. I work with World Championship Wrestling and Ted Turner wants to completely redefine the role of women in the sport. He wants to get rid of arm candy. He wants to get rid of the big wrestlers. It's family programming. He wants to go head to head, you know, with Vince McMahon and he wants to be the number one rated show on television. And he feels that having a new role of women will help to make this a family kind of friendly environment. And, uh, and so he was, you know, really, I loved how he was thinking about it. And that's when the spice, I'm totally dating myself as we get ready to talk about longevity. It's the limitless mind today. So there is no age, but at that time, the spice girls were really popular. That kind of very, you know, diversity um, was essential. And so long short, they started something called the nitro girls. And so we were supposed to be that pretty side, the goodwill ambassador, very family friendly. So it was kind of, uh, we were, we were dancers, we were entertainers. We would do the, what are called bumpers in and out of commercials. So whenever a show goes to commercial, there's kind of this little gap where there can be other things. And we were the other things. We were what really kept people on the entire time so that they wouldn't leave because they didn't know when we were coming on. Are we going to be as we're going to commercial or as we're coming back? And so that also made sponsors really happy and, uh, and really kind of understanding how to keep people engaged. And that's where it started. And then the crazy wild journey, I did have to learn. I had to go to wrestling school. I had, to, I had matches. Um, I had to do all sorts of crazy things. I was, it, it was an adventure. So I'll just kind of leave it there. And if you want to explore anything else, I'm happy to. No, I just think that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. have to uh, pull some pictures from those days of your of your time. Oh, for yeah. promoting this uh, conversation there. I'll tell you, I just, <laughs> we're, we're doing, I was sharing with you before the start, we're doing spring cleaning. Yeah. And uh, I found a, an, a container, right? Of all the old memorabilia. I mean, like beta tapes, there's like so much. I was like, oh man, this stuff is, this is gold right here. <laughs> so you a dancer into fitness, but you're also a doctor of chiropractics. Mm-hmm. Right, with a lot of other types of training. Do you want to kind of get in a little bit of your background? What led yeah, you to, to um, those fields and interests? Yeah, I, it was, you know, again, I think when I was young, I didn't know, I didn't, I, I thought I was going to be an attorney. And so, I mean, I remember very clearly as like a 10 year old girl playing with my Barbie dolls saying, putting her in a suit and saying, ah, this is, she's an attorney. That's what I'm going to be. And because I was told at a young age, like, Hey, you cannot make a living dancing, you know? So it was more about kind of what are the appropriate, you know, career paths. I didn't see myself as a scientist at that time, nor did I even through college, I avoided the sciences like the plague. And so it's always really interesting kind of how, you know, how you end up where you're supposed to be, even if you're not trying to, right. And, uh, and so I thought I was going to be an attorney and that was my whole career path. I moved down to Atlanta, getting ready to start law school when, and I was at, with my then time at the time boyfriend who did come down for chiropractic. And that is when I was working at the gym. And yes, I was a personal trainer and a nutritionist and a dancer. And I was into all things fitness. I grew up basically in the country, you know, eating from a garden. Like I was organic before organic was cool and a thing. And, um, you know, so I lived a really clean life and I never, I couldn't stand medicines of any sort. I don't know why I just had a mental block. Like I do not want to take something that into my body that I don't know what it is. And nobody taught that to me because my father's mantra was better living through chemistry. So, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's very, very interesting. But, um, so I, all of a sudden I kind of had a midlife crisis in my early twenties where I literally had a like, oh my gosh, do I really want to be an attorney? What does that mean? Like who, where did that even come from? What is truly in my heart? What do I really desire? And at, you know, the young age of like 23, I literally was like, I don't know who I am, right? I was having an existential crisis of self. And it just so happened that my then boyfriend was in chiropractic school and they actually had a dance troop that they paid. It was a paid gig. It was a paid dancing job, which is unheard of, especially at the time. And I auditioned and I made it. And so then I'm, I'm now like dancing for this university and they had a huge sports program. And, um, I was surrounded by all of these natural health practitioners. And so I was learning and watching and, you know, we're in dance and somebody would get injured and, and literally one of the students would lay them down and they're doing adjustments real time. And I'm like, what is going on? What is this? And then I really kind of sat and I'm like, you know, I've always been natural health. I've always understood that there's something more that, that truly allows health to express, even if I didn't know what that is. And now I'm in this environment where all of these people are natural health healing doctors. And so I decided to go all in and, uh, you know, and, and came out the other side, bright eyed, bushy brain. And then that's when I was in, like, literally as I was graduating, that's when I was in world championship wrestling and we were the number one rated television show. So imagine like here I was six months prior thinking, I'm going to go have my practice. I'm going to adjust people and change their health and change their lives. And then I landed on the number one rated television show and I was traveling around the country, traveling, like it was a live show every week. And so any sense of normalcy, nine to five, any of that like went out of the window. And, uh, and it was really so fascinating. So I'd come home, I'd be in practice for a few days a week and then I'd be out on the road. And yet what all was happening was, you know, you love epigenetics as do I, and I know we'll get to talk about that is all of these new signals and inputs were coming in. And what I had been trained, what I thought to be true, I was recognizing real time, both in clinical application and then in life um, on the road, because I was also caring for some of the wrestlers and adjusting them and you know, doing, doing doctoring um, behind the scenes. 
But what I realized real time is that we were taught in chiropractic that yes, healing is innate is from within. Take the, remove the interference and the body is able to heal. Now, from a chiropractic standpoint, that's referred to as a subluxation. And it's really understood that that main interference begins in that central nervous system, you know, in the, within the spinal column. And so that's kind of where the, the chiropractors start their work, but really the work that we're doing is mind-body connection, right? We're working with the entire expression of health through the, the human system. And yet we were told it was the adjustments that removed the interference at that time, again, well over 20 years ago. And I'm like, I'm in practice and saying, no, it's not just, I can adjust people all day and remove interference. They can be fine for a day or two or three, and they come back a week or two later and the exact same patterns are reemerging. And so what we weren't taught at the time is what are the signals? What are the influences? What are the epigenetic modulators that are informing the system that are creating the interference that are creating the repetition of those patterns that are truly limiting the full vibrant expression of health, which is, as you know, encoded within the DNA. And that was the moment early in my chiropractic career. I'd say I was at that point, maybe 27, 28. I was like, there's so much more to this. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole. That's when I started to study, you know, uh, positive psychology, neuro-linguistic psychology, linguistics. That's when I started to look into all the forms of natural health, went on to get my board certification in holistic health, um, you know, just did a deep dive in, and did deep dives in functional medicine and hormones. Like, oh, just, I wanted to learn about all the signals. I wanted to learn about all of it because I always understood that the human system was complex and not just one input equaled one output, but that it was this beautiful dynamic dance that when you could layer variables together, you could have an amazing compounding effect to truly bring about greater states of thriving. And that's- As you studied like holistic health, you studied epigenetics, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, how did that inform how you lived your life? Mm. That's great. That's a really good question. Um, because, you know, here's what I'll say. The information's already there. Like we all have it. Right. And so, so in the beginning, like I said, like I was unconsciously doing things that were later consciously aligned. And so I, I was, I had at a young age, a deep sense of what we call in the literature, interoception. I always really wanted to understand. There was a time where I was disassociated, you know, like bad things happen, trauma, like all the things that everybody's got, I think different extremes of story. So my life wasn't unicorn and rainbows. There was definitely like a, a bad, bad phase. And, and through that, there was a bit of, I don't want to identify, right. I want to get out of my body. I want to be outside of self. Um, and yet it was interesting. And I actually, I'll just share this for a moment because there it's relevant is that as I started to disassociate, I needed a, a path to, I didn't, this, none of this was conscious and this will answer your question, but I, I somehow needed a path back into myself and it was actually through an eating disorder and I became bulimic and I, I was bulimic for gosh, probably 10 years and it was on and off in different extremes, but over the years, it kept getting more and more extreme. And when I was in college, it really came to just a, a really bad place where I literally heard that inner voice say, you are killing yourself. You got to make a decision. And, and so that was the moment and, and through it, it was a lot of internal, right? But it, that was the moment when I'm like, I need to better understand what I'm not understanding, what I'm not wanting to feel or recognize. And, you know, that was a really important part of the journey. So all of this layers, it wasn't just one thing and it never is mm -hmm. in life. Right. But by time I started to do study epigenetics in the early days, 20 years ago, it was a lot of what was coming out of, you know, through Bruce Lipton and the early ways that we understood epigenetics was this idea of, you know, biology impacts uh, or belief impacts biology, which absolutely there is literature, psychoneuroimmunology, there's a lot around that. And yet it is so much more. Where we're at in the science today is understanding it is this beautiful, big, vast, you know, uh, 
conversation around all of these inputs and how all of these inputs from life and lifestyle, our thoughts, our habits, our beliefs, our perceptions, the air we're breathing, the foods we're eating, the thoughts we're thinking, the sunlight we're getting, like all of it is constantly having this beautiful interplay between the outer world and the inner world. And so to come back and specifically answer your question, when I began to study it, I've never been linear, like, oh, this one thing I have to do now because I just learned this in the literature. It's more, I've always understood complexity thinking. I was doing it unconsciously. And so it was just more like, okay, this is an important piece to the puzzle. And then I would, I would calibrate to myself. What am I understanding about myself in context of this, you know, understanding about food or understanding about stress or understanding about sleep or, you know, understanding, right. About all the different things that can happen. And so it was, began to just give me more information for more feedback. Mm -hmm. And of course, without feedback, there is no evolution. So it just began to give me that feedback loop that has allowed me to continue to expand into greater capacities of who mm -hmm. I am as a doctor, as a coach, as a clinician, as a wife, a mother, a friend, a human being, all the things. You had mentioned um, disassociative as a, mm -hmm. as a disorder coming back to yourself and I'm curious um, I'm thinking the self being your embodied self not just like a mental construct as a dancer and someone in the physical fitness world um, just because someone is a dancer just because someone's physically very physically active doesn't mean they, they live inside their body right so I'm curious like you know how did you re-engage re the as you mentioned interoception the yeah. living within yourself I love that question because these aren't things that I've necessarily um, thought about before. So we'll see what comes out. I, I will say that, so there was a level of disassociation. I wouldn't say that I was completely out of my body and completely okay. cut off, but I, I was disengaged. I wasn't, I wasn't dialed in to the depths that I definitely am today, let's say. And, and you're right. I mean, there was a level of, I was still every day working out and showing up, but what was happening is when I say disassociative and even being in my body, and I love that you brought this up. Like, I mean, at that point it was grinding, right? Like, I mean, I was teaching literally 15, 20, 25 high intensity fitness classes every week. I would be in dance rehearsals all day, every day for hours. I mean, and of course now I sit and just go, Oh my God, I was like totally crashing my system and like all the things. And yet this is also the beautiful part of mind body connection. And, and there is, it's not just what's in the literature because on the one hand, everything I'm doing from an outer perspective and a clinical perspective is like, oh my God, you're completely not giving your body time to rest. You're not giving it time to rebuild, to rejuvenate, to recoup. You are constantly pounding it and wearing it down and down and down and down. And of course you got that. Like when I got that inner message of, Hey, you're killing yourself externally. I did not look unhealthy. I, nobody would have thought that I was unhealthy, how I was showing up. Like I wasn't sad. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't anxious externally. I was very engaged. I was a high achiever. I was, you know, straight A's. I was working multiple jobs. Like you give it to me. I'm going to take it on. I can do it all. And I think there's a part of that, right? Like I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to push these boundaries. I'm going to push past. And maybe that's a bit of the disassociation and the denial mm -hmm. and the not kind of going inward. And so I was, um, and the point I was going to make is while I'm grinding and going, I still loved it. I mean, I love dance. I love it. I loved teaching fitness classes. And so there was a bit of that counterbalance of, even though you would think that my actions were highly destructive, it's probably like those high endurance, you know, marathon runners. And so a bit of it's maybe the runners high in the essence I loved so much that I can't say that I, there was visible signs of, of breakdown. It was all the stuff was internal. Um, and I don't know if I gave you the full answer because I, I've never really thought of that question, but it's fascinating. I was in my body, but I wasn't. And, and what, it wasn't, what, go ahead. Um, you're much wiser now. Yeah. What advice might you have given your younger self that you mm. now know that could have helped her? Yeah. Oh, goodness. 
I'm like, oh, tears are not going to come. <laughs> no. um, I, you know, first and foremost, the advice really would be centered around love. Like when things, so for anybody that's gone through trauma, of course, oftentimes trauma and traumatic events are things that seemingly happen to us. We didn't go invite it or seek it. Right. And so it's, I think it would be important to say, it's not your fault. You are mm-hmm. safe. You're lovable. You're worthy. You're, you're amazing beyond any comprehension that you have. And it's essential that we take care of you, right? Like it's, it's essential that to really love yourself and regardless, you're not these things, you are you. And, and so, um, you know, and it was funny because even at the time, the books that were out there, it was all about, it was almost not 12 steps, but a lot of the approaches are so many external things and external uh, kind of like, go talk to like, go do these steps, go do these steps. And I think there's validity in some of that, but I was that person that I thought I just had to do the steps. And I thought if I just did the steps, I did the things like it would all be fine. It would all be better. And nothing was fine and nothing was better until I stopped doing all the things until I stopped doing all the external and just really began to be kind to myself just to start with kindness and appreciation. Right. And over the years moving into like deep self-love and self-worth and all of it. How does that approach that you learn to deal be with yourself with show up in your practice with clients? Mm. You know, the answer is this. I have a free gift on my website called the worth code. And when I tell you it is my highest opt-in rate, I have had so many people get that free gift. And I think that answers the question. It helps me because while I, while the, a lot of the people I work with are high performers, many people have had trauma of some level, um, whether they remember it, realize it or not, but fundamentally people haven't learned to love and accept and value themselves. And I still, I feel like, I feel like it's a much different world today. And I think on the one hand, I think so many people do, and I'm blown away by these people also that are very, you know, influential and like, they've got all the things and the titles and the stuff. And so what it does for me is it allows me to have, first of all, the deepest level of compassion, um, and acceptance and understanding judgment free, but it also gives me the unwavering certainty that this person, should they choose, can come out the other side so much fuller, like so full of who they really are. So I can see the potential in every single human and I can see what awaits them. And so I'm sure my own journey added to that, that site, yet I think it's also in part kind of my spiritual soulful gift. And so I can just hold that space for them so that they can find a way to reconnect and believe in who they are and then really show up and express it. You, you mentioned epigenetics mm-hmm. and I'm curious, uh, from like looking at trauma from an intergenerational perspective, yeah. have you seen any patterns that, that go historically through family, your family, day, family uh, lineage? This <clears throat> is, you know, it's so interesting and, um, it's really crazy because so right now I'm really going to try not to cry. So right now I'm working on my, my Ted talk. And so my mother passed away right three days after she turned 54. And part of even what I write about in the codes of longevity is the, the mental, the mental process of we've been told the story of, genes are our destiny. And then we were realized, no, genes aren't our destiny. Um, and yet this, this mantra of genes or destiny is still somehow some way embedded in, in the collective unconscious mm-hmm. and kind of having this wait, it's her destiny, mine. And even though consciously I'm like, no, it's not, it's not. Um, this is where all the epigenetic stuff comes in. It's super cool. However, 
I've, as I was doing my talk, I'm, you know, and, and I was sharing this a little bit with you beforehand, what came to me doing a Ted talk is a, is a whole spiritual journey in and of itself, by the way, <laughs> in case anybody wants to know, like really finding it's not a normal talk and how you have to find the right kind of big idea. And it hit me. I'm like, and it was through the lens of my mother's journey. And I'm going to answer the trauma because this all ties in. I'm giving context is that I looked at her journey and I'm like, are we living by chance or thriving by design? Because through my eyes, my mother was living by chance. She didn't know that more was possible. And she didn't, she didn't have the understanding, the belief, the access. And so when you don't know that more is possible, you become confined and almost a prisoner of whatever current reality you're living in without judgment of that. It's just the walls mm -hmm. start to shrink and close in. And you feel more limited with your limited resources because if, you know, the things you were working worked, you'd probably be having a different expression. And so as I was going through this, um, I, I was like, just calling out to her, like, man, mom, you know, help me. I want to honor you. I want to honor your truth, not my perception of your truth. And crazily enough, the spring cleaning, I had a container of her stuff, I and out comes a journal that I've never seen. I don't, I don't remember that. I, like everything else in there, I know was in there. And out comes a journal. And so the answer to your question is, you know, trauma. The the trauma that was in my family was different than the type of trauma that I experienced. However, the thread and the theme is truly, it, it, it was a, I'm just gonna call it a masculine, feminine, male, female, right? Dominance versus, um, you know, lack thereof. So my, my grandmother, I had come to find out was physically abused by my grandfather who died when my mother was only three. My mother didn't know of the abuse. She didn't consciously know of it, but as a young girl, she was in a house, an environment the relationships she found herself in were abusive, similar, but different. So not as physically abusive, but very mentally abusive. Um, and it was, you know, it was my stepfather, like then that was the abuse that, that, that permeated our house that I was personally affected by. But here's what was really important. And I, and I wanna share this. And, and this is what I love having the perspective now of transgenerational epigenetics because I've done a lot of work to completely dissolve, heal and transmute any lineage of trauma and any trauma in my family's lineage, past or future. And what I'm really proud of is even though it was a long journey, I, when I was, I was in sixth grade and I spoke up, I, I said, hey, this, this stuff's happening. So I used my voice and then I was quickly told by my grandmother, Shh, don't use your voice. Why are you doing this? And so I shut down my voice literally for a long time, probably at least another 10 years, but I did use my voice again. And I'm like, this is not my burden to carry. This is not, this is not like, there's nothing good. Like, no, I'm not going to carry other people's crap, basically other people's junk and trauma in my physiology, in my brain, in my body, in my being. And so I spoke up from a place of love also. And this is a really hard thing in trauma, especially when things have been done to us. How do we come to a place of acceptance and forgiveness within ourselves? I don't even, you know, forgiveness is there, how do we just come to acceptance and allowance? Cause there's, it's not like things were this is a deeper conversation about where I was going to go with forgiveness. So we'll stop on that for a moment. But anyway, um, it, I had to come to that place so that I could then show up in love to say, Hey, I'm not here to blame. I'm not here to harm. I'm not here to punish, but I am here to acknowledge and I will not be diminished what my truth and my experience was. And I'm no longer going to carry this burden for our family so here it is. And that was fun. It wasn't, but 
I felt so good that what I did in that moment was I forever reclaimed my own power. And then years later, like in different meditations at different time, Michael, I've had this stuff come up and I've had to do a lot of healing around my grandmother, right? A lot like different pockets of it. And so anybody going through, through trauma and post-traumatic growth, there is always growth. And it's anytime I went back into the pockets, it's not like I relived it all again and it was horrific. It was really each time I gained more of my own power back. And I was able to come to a point where I was truly able to speak to my entire lineage. And, and what I've done is I've broken, broke, broken, broken the line of abuse, broken the line of silence, broken the line of allowance. I've broken it. And so it is forever dissolved. And so I want anybody listening, if they've been through trauma, to really understand you are so powerful, you are so magnificent and so mighty, and you are the key to whatever expression you want. And, and it didn't just happen overnight for me. You know, it doesn't happen overnight for anybody, I don't think. But if you're willing to just stay with yourself to stay with your heart, to trust in you and realize you're the most important above and beyond anything else. And you get you right. Everything else is magic. Nice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at the beginning, when I introduced the show, I, I did a shout out to the Association for Pre and Perinatal Psychology, yes. um, which is I'm actually in their certification program. I love them and been, been a member for probably two decades now, not longer. Great group. But the reason I bring them back up because I want to tie your work on longevity and then your own personal yeah. experience with growth and development um, back to preconception, conception, birth. Can you talk a little bit about like, you know, what a pre-parent <laughs> mm-hmm. should be considering if yeah. they want both for themselves, but ultimately for their children's and their children's children to kind of have the mindset in the body to mm-hmm. have a, you know, a fulfilling, long, thriving life. Yeah. What might that look like? Mm, I love that. Um, I will first say that, yes, there's such phenomenal literature. Um, one of my dearest friends, I would say she's one of the leaders in this conversation, Dr. Cleopatra Camperveen. And, um, and she's been doing preconception epigenetics for close to 20 years in the, uh, in the universities. She's with the World Health Organization. She's got just amazing information on this and an incredible program. And she's in my book and we've spoken at length about the 120 days before preconception and what a really important, meaningful and magical time that is. And while you don't have to go be in a, you know, on a mountaintop zenning out, um, I would say some of the, the basic things like we are really being invited as humans back to our true self. And because we've, we've gotten scattered and chaotic and all the things, and we're really coming into a time of evolving with technology while remaining and embracing our humanity. And so when I say this preconception planning and timing, let's keep it super simple right now. Like, just think, how can I clean the clutter from my life, mentally, emotionally, physically, that's cleaning out toxins, that's cleaning out stressors, that's cleaning out, you know, people who, and and this is the really simple calibration. What do you desire? So if you truly desire, you know, intentionally, you want to bring a life into this world, then first begin by getting really clear and aligning to that intention. If you could have the most magical, amazing experience as a parent, what in your wildest dreams, would you love for that to be like, what type of parent do you want to be? What type of child do you want? How do you want them to express? And I'm not saying like, you know, like just what is important to you about that individual and who do you need to be to best support that thriving human that will, that will birth through you. So step one is really about setting that vision, that intention, that alignment, Because then now that becomes your point of calibration. So now all the decisions that you're about to make little and big, you actually have context. You're going to have a feedback. And remember, I mentioned that earlier, feedback is essential to have clarity, to evolve and grow forward. So set your intention, align with that life force, just that, that beauty, get really clear. And then all of a sudden, the moment you're going to eat a food, do I believe, does this, is this going to help me hurt me? Does this feel really nourishing and uplifting 
or do I feel drained and depleted after I eat this? Right. Same thing with work, with people, with sleep, like all of a sudden, yes, we want to eat a cleaner diet. We can go into what that really means. Yes. We want to get better quality sleep. Yes. We want to lower our stressors. We want to begin to really work to actually create anti-fragility in the autonomic nervous system. We want to learn how to toggle out of sympathetic and into parasympathetic. These little things become massive, massive markers within the epigenetics of creating a thriving human that's going to birth from you. So I, but I like to keep it simple, set the intention, have the feedback calibration of just nourishing, uplifting, feel good. Does this feel aligned with this life force I want to bring forward? Or does this feel like this is draining me, dragging me down, depleting me could harm or hinder in any way, the fullest expression of this life force that I want to bring through. That's the fast way. That's awesome. Um, let me ask you another question because um, we live in a Unless you're in the United States, you know, you have a nuclear family. If you're lucky, you can even having a nuclear family. We have a lot of single family homes. Yeah. In the past, the nuclear family was a nucleus of a broader family, and they're embedded in the community, which we have a lot less of. Yeah. And I'm wondering, just thinking about community, you mentioned love a lot, love, connection, yeah. and then epigenetics. You know, what would you imagine a better social structure to be? If, uh, if, you know, if a new mom had the opportunity to organize yeah. herself accordingly to get the support she might need, mm. um, especially looking back, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of years, where you're literally at a tribe yeah. of women, mostly, to help you, if you're a pregnant woman, go through that whole process. And as much as it's hugely ritualized, the birth was ritualized. I mean, there's a lot of kind of yeah. religious connotation to that whole process, too but community embedded in it. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, and, and I, community is where it's at. Um, it's interesting, again, as we're moving through this time of just human evolution, you know, everything is by design, even if it's uncomfortable right now, we are recognizing how essential connection and community are through the pandemic days, right? And, um, and so I think it's, it's a currency that we've all come to realize that we, we didn't quite value it in the way that maybe we once did in our tribal days in our more primal primitive days. And so, and yet, how do we choose to define community? So, you know, I have a few collectives, both the Thrive Longevity Collective and the whole design is to bring in the enthusiasts and the experts where it's this, it's this give and receive where everybody can, everybody can mutually benefit and be supported. So to me, I, I give that example to say that to me is what real community is about. Like how can we show up together for one another, not just to give to get, but to understand that when we come together, when we support, when we connect, when we collaborate, we all expand together. We all love together. We all like, it's just how we were designed. And so I think that's a really great question to further explore because what's happening now, and it's really interesting. I do a lot of research in all the futurist markets and things that come out of Singularity University and and things of that nature. And uh, because, you know, things are going to continue to look really different in just a couple of years, um, radically different than what we understand it to be today. Now, that doesn't mean at the expense of our humanity and getting to go out in our front yard. However, what the pandemic has shown us is the opportunity of, well, all of a sudden, a year ago, a lot of people didn't understand how to work from home. Now people all work from home. They have, they understand I've got an internet connection and a device I can plug in from anywhere, which now means we are not tethered by locality. And so what's already starting to show are that the, the, the reemergence of tribes are actually starting to happen because people, and we can all choose our family, right? So as you were saying, the more that nuclear family, whether it is our, our bloodline or it is our best friends and you know people that we have met along life's path that we're like, we are family and we wanna be in this together. More and more groups of people are now saying, 
well, we don't like living here, but you know what? We'd love to live there. People are moving. We've seen a tremendous amount of that in the past year. They're moving to places where they want to be, not where they have to be, but where they desire to be. And they're doing it with people they desire to be with. And so we're naturally kind of seeing this reconnection to community and to tribe. And it's, it's essential, especially for healthy babies. Right on. You, you mentioned your program. Can you say a little bit more about your program? Yes. So, you know, you and I are in the precision health and human optimization space. And up until now, a lot of what is available, you know, is, is at a very high price point. And that's for people that want to work with me one-on-one -on -one as well. And a big part of what I am dedicated to being a part of is saying, how do we democratize and make more accessible and amenable the resources to people, you know, because we can all get on the internet today and look up anything. It's not just about the information. It's having access to the people that know how to interpret and what to do with the information. And more and more people, look, there were, there were seekers, we're enthusiasts, we're biohackers. Like we wanna know, how, what do I do with this? Like, I, I wanna know how to make it work for me. And so, what I um, what I've brought forth this year and it's going to continue to be ongoing is the Thrive Collective, and it's really the Thrive Longevity Collective, and it's this idea of you know again not living by chance but thriving by design at every age and every stage, and it is a community. So every month we have master teachers, trainers, doctors, clinicians, brands, innovators, scientists, researchers in the human potential and precision longevity space um, come in and make themselves first and foremost available, right? So it's an intimate time where, yes, we're still in a Zoom room. There will be a day that we'll have live sessions sooner than later, um, but it's beautiful. There are master classes and Q&A you know, really getting to have that quality time to talk. There's archived information and resources. And many of our master trainers that come in also have like additional courses. So it's kind of all in this community. And then we have a huge community platform. So everybody's collaborating, they're communicating, they're talking, they're like getting, reaching out to the experts, they're reaching out to one another. And they're just knowing that there's a place where they, it minimizes all the research and all the extraneous stuff. And they're like, okay, here's where I can land. Here's where I can engage. Here's where I can feel that I can gain value and also share value, be understood and understand. And so to me, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's a, it's a monthly membership. So it's super, super affordable, the low price point. Is it open? Like, is there open enrollment? It's open enrollment. Yep. Yeah. It's a URL. What's the URL with it? Yeah. Well, it's just over, it's on a landing page. So you can get there off my website at docmelissa. Yeah, docmelissa.com. And then if you just go down under um, how to work with us, we've got it over there. So it's the Thrive Collective, you know, lots of buttons. Um, and because I don't know if my team has the URL attached to it for Thrive Collective. <laughs> I'm like, but I know it's on my website. So I can yeah, tell you right. that with certainty. That's cool. I'll make sure we put it in the show notes. Okay. The, the Great. Link. Yeah. Um, you also put out a book recently, Coach yeah. Longevity. Yeah. Would you like to talk about that? I would love to. This little monster right here. Yeah. Love it. Love it. It is, you know, it is like birthing a child, by the way. These, all these things that we create and that we do. And, you know, Codes of Longevity, um, because what I do is I am a seer and not only am I a doc and a coach to my clients, but I've also been a coach to my fellow practitioner and provider for over 15 years. So on the other side of what I do is all about, I feel so strongly that if we're truly gonna go out and bring about greater levels of flourishing and thriving around the globe, it's not a one person job. And so I've always seen, I've never felt competition. I've always seen the power of collaboration. And so, you know, I've run masterminds and expert networks and just different types of programs just to my fellow, I call them any type of visionary that's dedicated to human flourishing. So it's not just doctors, right? Doctors and coaches. And anyway, my long story short is that this project really started in my brain 
that it's something I was passionate about and doing, yet I knew these other amazing experts had so much to deliver and share, but they didn't quite know how to get their message out there in a bigger way. And so I was like, I'm going to create the platform and I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them their stage, if you will, like a place to bring it together. Longevity can seem like a very either boring, complex, confusing conversation in the scientific space. And, um, you know, I, I just really had a vision all along. I'm like, everything I was seeing out there was too linear. It was like, we're looking at just lifespan or we're looking at just health span with some lifestyle markers. Um, nobody was really out there talking about a 360 approach, a complete approach, mind, body, soul, lifespan, health span, and the term that I coined with this well span of how these pieces really fit together and to do more than think about living a long time because the longevity industry, while it is the largest industry, is more than a $5 trillion industry um, and growing, it's so much of it has been designed around life extension. But fundamentally, you go out and I give any of you this challenge and I, I'd ask you to ask yourself right now, how long do you want to live? Well, let me ask you, Michael, how long do you want? I mean, you're an exception. So I like, you know, but let me ask you, let's just calibrate. How long do you want to live? I always thought 128 years would be a good minimum. Great. Do you have any conditions to that? Well, quality of life. I don't want to be having lost my mind or physical functioning. Yeah. Right. Of course. And, and because I know that you're in a space where you already are, you know, touching the research, the information, the understanding every day that what many are thinking is impossible is possible, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of step one is bringing the, bringing the, what we think is impossible into the forefront to realize, oh, wait, no more is totally possible with this. But what happens typically is most of us are like, I don't even think I want to live a long time because we equate longevity with getting old yeah, yeah. and longevity to me is truly about thriving at every age and every stage. And it does happen all the way in preconception. And it's something that runs through our own lifespan and it's a legacy conversation. So it's not just what's happening to you and I as an individual in this moment. It's what does this mean for you and I what does this mean for our future generations? And what are the things that we can do individually and collectively starting today? And, um, and so, you know, I had the idea and it just all began to grow. And the more that I got into the research and I could just see, again, I can see the whole picture and I could see all the pieces that were missing. This cause of longevity, I say is still just the beginning. I've only scratched the surface and I didn't want to make it a 500 page book. And I wanted it to be really accessible to anybody. Like I, I wanted to make sure that my fellow doctors and clinicians could really get something out of it. And I wanted the lay person, the enthusiast who doesn't know all the words to also be able to look at it and really feel like they took away tactical, practical steps and solutions. And so kind of finding that balance, right? Be between the two. And again, making, giving an entry point for the conversation to realize, all right, let's talk about why we age, why we don't have to. There are things happening in the body, but it's not just about the body. It has to start up here in our mind we first have to know more is possible and or have a desire to believe more could be possible for us individually and collectively. And when we start here, then the body starts to follow suit mm -hmm. and then we break it all down, kind of what's happening with the physiology, you know, but for me, the magic is in the well span. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the section that truly isn't spoken about enough. It's not researched enough because it's a bit outside of the objective and so much more of it is subjective, how a person is subjectively experiencing their reality. And, um, you know, so it is where we get into purpose and meaning and love and connection, right? And safety and security and creativity and learning. It's like the things that literally make our, our soul dance and our heart sing. Like that is the secret sauce because yep. like you said, Hey, at 128 providing, right? Like all these other things are kind of in place because if we're going to live a long life, it's not just, can I live forever? Can I live even to 120, 150, 200, whatever the next going number is? Yes, it's possible. But how do we want to be living along the way? 
right? That's the real conversation that I'm dedicated to having more of. How do we want to live along the way? Not then, but right now. And what's really interesting, if you think about like from preconception, if you want to use your wellspan, like, you know, yeah. preconception to high thriving older age, whatever that might be. Yeah. And the, the necessity to rethink our institutions and systems yes. to support that. Are you talking about like a revolution, evolution of every. Yeah. It, it is, it's essential. You're, you're hundred percent right. And, you know, and that's why it's a $5 trillion industry. You know, there really are in, and part of what I'm doing within the human flourishing Institute, and there is a leg that's the human longevity Institute, just really dedicated to that. But there, to me, they're one in the same is that there are really kind of these 12 sectors, you know, to human thriving, to life, like what makes up a viable planet, what makes up a viable human being. And so when we begin to look and, and health is one, but health isn't all of it. And so to me, yes, we are in, we're at a tipping point. We're at a really important time to all be able to come and rethink how we're viewing things. And you're right. Institutions need to be changed. And I, and to me, that's the gift of the pandemic, like old institutions and ways of doing things that we didn't question that we've just done have been shaken. Some are crumbling, right? Some, and some, and so we're seeing new potentials and because of the bottom line, like whether the institution worked or didn't, when they're like, well, gosh, it's a whole lot more economical and or profitable if we do it this way versus that way. And so I think education is a really important conversation. You know, what they've learned is 2D learning does not work. So like they've had to bring kids back into the schools. They're not changing the curriculums, right? There's, so they're like the school systems right now are really going, oh my gosh, <laughs> what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we handle these new mandates? How do we, how do we create healthy kids? We're creating more anxious kids, more depressed kids. Like these environments are not serving us. And, and it's so fascinating, but what I'm excited about are the technologies that are coming in. So one of the companies that I am aligned with, uh, Kabuni, they're a huge VR, AR group in Europe. And the technologies that are coming just in the human thriving space mm. are stunning. And so they're going to completely single-handedly revolutionize these institutions, especially education in the way that we're gonna deliver information and the real-time feedback that's going to occur, it's, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great to hear. I, I spent about a decade working on education reform a while back. Mm. And our whole system is like a pretty much a late 19th century system mm -hmm. with 20th century models in the 21st century. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it doesn't really work very well. It doesn't match. So that's good to hear a lot of disruption going on. Yeah. For sure. And that's our healthcare system too. I mean, you right. know, it's, it's all the systems, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, and it is just so fascinating to see how we all kind of innately, like it's that that autonomic fight or flight. Oh my gosh, I'm about to lose something. Like, I, and even if we didn't like it, right? There's still this kind of gut reaction that a lot of people are like, let me try to hold up the structure while it crumbles around me. And, you know, on my show, um, on my podcast, Igniting Limitless, I've been having conversations recently with people that have gone through really like traumas, challenging times, like how did they go from, you know, really surviving to thriving, if you will. And I will tell you one of the biggest themes, and I know this is not going to be a surprise to you, but one of the biggest themes from alcoholics and drug users to, you know, trauma survivors, uh, people who've lost everything, bankruptcy, whatever it is, the word of advice that keeps coming out is surrender. Mm. I had to just surrender, I had to let go. Meaning this trying to hold it all up and together, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's going to change anyways. It's going to happen anyway. And think about all that distress we're placing and not use stress, distress on our systems. Right. And, and not, and I don't mean surrender and just be like, eh, whatever happens happens. It's not like you have to just be a bystander and do nothing but it kind of comes back to that calibration system, right? Knowing that we're at this really interesting point, if we could reimagine humanity, 
if we could reimagine the most thriving systems. Have you ever um, followed or looked at any of the work of Barbara Marks Hubbard? Wow, from a long time ago. Yes. I mean, she's, she, she's around like in the 70s, 80s. She was America, 100%. You talk about somebody way ahead of her time, yeah. right? So of course she's transitioned now, but the work and the legacy that she left was with these 12 sectors. And but what I loved that she did, SINCON, SINCON is what it was called. They had this idea of, okay, which is exactly how can we reimagine, right? What is possible? What's happening in the world? And yeah, all we see is the bad stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff. And what if we can bring all these sectors together and actually have conversations? Because nothing is, nothing is linear. Everything is a complex system. We all need another piece or part from other parts of this system. But the way things that work are so shut down in their own little lane that there's not currently a what do I want to say really a system set up that allows for intercommunication and interplay. And I mean, I, I watch her stuff. I just watch replays of it because I'm like, this is what we have to do. Like, this is the solution right here. And in some way, shape or form, my own internal vision with the human flourishing Institute is that in its own way, it can open up these spaces for these types of collaborative conversations. But now imagine all of a sudden you've got government officials, health officials, education officials, and not just officials, lay people, kids, college students, you've got people that care deeply and passionately about this sector or point of conversation. Come together and first share, okay, what is my heart's desire for this? So what's my heart's deepest heart's desire for education? If it could look be any different than it already is? What's the good parts that we want to bring with? And what are the parts that, you know, are ready for an upgrade, like could be totally different. Let's reimagine the possibilities. So step one is having these conversations is kind of like brainstorming almost what is possible, right? Like getting all of those beautiful what ifs out there. And then it's about opening up all the 12 sectors. Hey, in healthcare, this is what, you know, this is the, the new imagined vision of what could be possible. Okay, government. Okay, um, you know, economists. Okay, education. What are, the way, what are the resources that you have that we need that we can collaborate on to actually make this happen? And while I'm not into becoming cyborgs and plugging into a computer, I think that's part of the craziness behind Elon Musk. I mean, like when the, we can somehow have a way that we can quickly and instantly accelerate communication and the exchange of ideas, life will rapidly evolve overnight. You'll appreciate my vision when I actually was in high school. Um, when I was in high school, I always wanted to bring people together uh, it'd be in my kitchen so there's a kitchen with a big window seeing a beautiful scenery like you know green greenish area right out front for a day-long conversation on a subject of whatever the topic of the day was but i wanted to bring like 12 or so experts in a wide variety of fields so it's interdisciplinary conversation yes including a public i always thought it'd be interesting you know you want environmental scientists and a neuroscientist and an ecologist all those things and then a poet poet for, for deep conversations about whatever the issue of the day was. So I dig your vision that you're laying out. Uh, Michael, we need, to, we need to activate this now. Yeah. We need to hang out. We need to get this going. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, and, and, and speaking of going, so you mentioned a couple of your institutes. Can you, what are the URLs for your institutes? So it's, go to your website. sure. And, and, you know, I like to keep everything at doc Melissa right now. That's always going to be the ground zero where you can get any of the information um, because you, we are just in the beginning stages of how that's all being designed and out. So it's just right in this moment, depending on when people listen to this playback, it's a landing page. It's nothing sexy. It doesn't have the full vision of what it is. And so we're, we're bringing all of that together. We're meeting with our experts and our partners and really, you know, looking at how this interplay comes out um, for the enthusiasts and the expert alike. But it's it's the Human Flourishing Institute, the Longevity, uh, Human Longevity Institute, and those will be .coms, but docmelissa.com is easy, okay. easy, easy, easy. All the things, yeah. yeah. And where can people get uh, Coach Longevity? 
Yeah. So anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the places, um, my website and or codesoflongevity.com. If you go to codesoflongevity.com, I'm going to give you a little insight that there are some extra special things there. So I have a full big document. There were so many resources and references and materials that we couldn't include because it would have added like another, you know, 50 pages, 100 pages onto the book. So, uh, so there are some additional resources. There's some additional free bonus courses there. So if you want to get it through codesoflongevity.com, you can. And one last question for you. Yes. In terms of interest areas for you, what's floating your boat? Like, what are you like so excited about waking up every morning and learning more about, if anything? You know what? Truly, truly human flourishing. And what I mean by that is the brain, like what makes the brain come alive? What makes Mm -hmm. us as human beings come alive and want to jump out of bed? I absolutely can't get enough of just all the many ways to enhance living fully because I just see myself included, none of us that are our full capacity. We all, and that's part of why we're here, right? To continue to evolve into new spaces. And so I just love being a conduit to excite, to ignite and to inspire people to realize it's not done. It ain't over. Like get back in that ring. We've got more rounds to go. We're going to more fun to be had, more challenges to take on, more learning to obtain, more growth to enjoy. That's fantastic. Melissa, it's been great to talk to you. I appreciate you coming on the Emerging Human Podcast. Thank you. You as well, my friend. It was an honor. And I'll definitely have to have you back on because there's a lot more to talk about. Yes. (laughs) 